Oh, whatever. Um, this is Exodus chapter 25, and I think it's page 58. Yes, and it's starting at uh, verse 23. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a table of acacia wood, two cubits long, a cubit wide, and a cubit and a half high. Overlay it with pure gold, and make a gold moulding around it. Also make around it a rim, a hand breadth wide and put a gold moulding on the rim. Make four gold rings for the table and fasten them to the four corners where the four legs are. The rings are to be close to the rim to hold the poles used in carrying the table. Make the poles of acacia wood, overlay them with gold and carry the table with them. And make its plates and dishes of pure gold as well as the pitchers and bowls for the pouring out of offerings. Put the bread of the, the presence on this table to be before me at all times. Make a lampstand of pure gold and hammer it out, base and shaft. Its flower-like cups, buds and blossoms shall be of one piece with it. Six branches are to extend from the sides of the lampstand three on one side and three on the other. Three cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms are to be on one branch, three on the next, and the same for all six branches extending from the lampstand. And from the lampstand, there are to be four cups shaped like almond flowers with buds and blossoms. One bud shall be under the, the first pair of branches extending from the lampstand a second bud under the second pair, and a third bud under the third pair, six branches in all. The buds and branches shall all be of one piece with the lampstand, hammered out of pure gold. Then make it seven lamps and set them up on it so that they light the space in front of it. Its wick trimmers and trays are to be of pure gold. A talent of pure gold is to be used for the lampstand and all these accessories. See that you make them according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to be here this morning. My name is Jimmy, for those who don't know me. Welcome to church here. Let me encourage you uh, that this is a wonderful place to be, that if you are a guest of us here this morning, that it's no mistake that you are here. We do believe God draws people to himself, to hear him speak and hear his word. Can I just encourage you to reiterate what uh, Charlie said about youth ministry? On Friday nights, we come here every single week. We read the word. We gather, we gather in community, and we really believe... We have a big vision for, for some of your kids' life to see them grow into fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ, to have their identity shaped by Jesus. And so if you've got young ones who are in high school or year six, let me encourage you to have that same big vision for their life. You know, I think our world wants to say that, that the biggest vision you can have for young people's lives is that they are successful at sport or get a good career or they get a good you know, have enough, make enough money to own a property and get married and live well in that sense. But the gospel has a much bigger vision for young people's lives than that, an eternal one. So let me encourage you, because at youth, we're all about that. That's what I'm all about. And so let me encourage you, if you've got young ones, you know, families of young people, invite them along to youth group. That'd be great. Let me pray as we begin to open God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you speak to us, that you have gathered us here as your children, 
as people who get to be uh, with you, in relationship with you. And we pray, Lord, as we read from your word this morning, as you speak to us, that you would encourage us, lift us up. We know that life comes from you, that you sustain life, and that we can trust in you because you are good. We pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. Have you ever noticed how dependent you are, and I am, and we all are, on electricity? We are so dependent on electricity right now. That, that heater is powered by electricity. You're all warm this morning now, hopefully, because of electricity. Electricity powers everything that we need in our homes. Our fridge, our microwave, our heaters, our aircon, the kettle. God bless the kettle. <laughs> our TVs, our lights, the hairdryer, computers, and most importantly, our phones. Most importantly. There is nothing better than a home with an abundance of PowerPoints. It's one of the upsides to where Kay and I have moved into in Manly. That when we first moved in and we first looked at the place, I just saw so many PowerPoints on every side of the room. And I thought, this is fantastic. This is so good. So much access to power. So many PowerPoints. It might seem silly, right, to view PowerPoints with such high esteem because there's such ordinary things in our home. We take them for granted. Not until we realize uh, their value when they're not there. Take, for instance, when you're in the airport. Once you're through the terminal, you know what you need to do. You need to claim that PowerPoint because in airports, PowerPoints are worth more than gold. And you see people running through the airport. I've been one of those people with their chargers waving around trying to find a PowerPoint to plug into because their battery on their phone is about to die or their computer is about to die and their access to the world around them is going to be lost. And you know how you've been feeling if you've been in a terminal for 12 hours like I have in LA with no access to the world outside. PowerPoints all of a sudden become worth more than gold. They're like an oasis in the desert that provide that precious source of battery life to keep us connected to the rest of the world. In airports, airports, PowerPoints are worth more than gold. Have you ever thought about what is the source of your life? What is the source of your What powers you? What keeps you alive? What keeps you going? This morning, as we continue in our series, Living in God's Presence, today we get to enter into the tent, finally. We're now entering into the tent, and what we discover is not only that God wants to dwell with His people, but by dwelling with His people, He's also the source and sustainer of life for His people. And the reason He gives and sustains life is so that we can have a relationship with Him. And as we unpack these two things together this morning, I want to challenge you. Where do you find the source of your life? What powers your life? And indeed, what is the goal and the purpose of your life? So firstly, God is the giver and sustainer of life. When entering the tent, you would see two things to begin with. A lampstand made of pure gold and a table overlaid with gold with, a, with bread on top of it. And these were clearly very special objects. The gold signifying a closer proximity to God, one step closer than you, were, than, you, than you were outside the tabernacle because that was made of bronze and earth and dirt. Going one step closer, it's all gold. But the furniture in this so-called holy place 
is chosen for more than just saying that you're one step closer. The furniture communicates something about how, how God is present with his people. What we have in the holy place with this lampstand and this table with bread on it could be seen as something similar to the modern day dining room. Though the appearance of gold highlighted the glory and the majesty and the holiness of God, the means of experiencing his presence was pretty ordinary. A dining room, a dinner table, a sign of friendship, a sign of intimacy and family. And vicariously through the priests, God sets his table and invites Israel to dine with him. In Leviticus 24, we hear this. The bread is set out before the Lord regularly, Sabbath after Sabbath, on behalf of the Israelites as a lasting or an everlasting covenant. Dinner parties in the ancient world were more than just a fun thing to do with friends and family. They were a way of ratifying formal agreements. If you would make a covenant or a contract or an agreement with someone else, you would break bread with them afterwards to kind of show your commitment to that agreement, to the terms of that agreement. You can think of a reception at a wedding as that kind of formal ratification, breaking bread after make, seeing two people commit to each other for life. What we have here is God showing on a weekly basis his commitment to his covenant. Indeed, that we have, he is the one that will set the table to provide the means of, of his presence and sustain the life of his people. And we read about it in Hebrews 8 as well. In verse 10, this is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel. I will put my laws in their minds. I will be their God. God is the one who initiates his covenant, this contract. He is the one who sustains the life of his people. Now the lampstand provided the source of light so that the priest could see as he entered in. It was the only source of light for the holy place, for this special dining room. And we read it's in the shape of a tree. I mean, why, why a tree? Why not just a normal lamp that you could get from Kmart or somewhere else? Why, why does it have to do this decadent golden tree? It was to show that God not only sustains the life of his people, but he is the one who also gives life to his people in the first place. The lampstand symbolically pointed back to the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. The lamp was to remind God's people that just as this lamp serves as the only source of light in the room, God himself is the only source of life for the world. First seen in the garden with that tree in the middle and now seen in the lampstand itself. God is both the giver of life and the sustainer of life for his people. These symbols served as a constant reminder to show what God's presence does. And indeed, what they would fail to have if God's presence wasn't there. So there was there to remind them, to stop them from ever thinking that they themselves were the sustainers of life, that they themselves could give life in the first place. But in our modern world, we've grown up from that silly way of ancient thinking, small-minded thinking. The idea that we rely on some all-powerful being to give us life and sustain our life, that's just silly. We are in control of our own lives, right? 
We are the means to sustain our own lives, aren't we? God doesn't set the dying table of life. We do. And in fact, God's not invited. He's often an unwelcome guest. And although we like to think we're rational and reasonable creatures, we have our own symbols in our world that reinforce this idea constantly in us. In fact, they often come through this somewhat modern-day version of the lampstand, the glow of our TV screens and devices that illuminate to us advertisements that promote products that will promise security, comfort, pleasure, success, and beauty, happiness for life. TV shows, Netflix shows, movies and books that form and shape our desires, what we should believe and what we should pursue in regards to relationships, what we should value, the stuff that makes life good, news and current affair programs, even Facebook now, that inform how we should see the world around us, what we should believe about it, about its future and our future as well. All these things in some way or another, reinforce that idea that we sustain our own life, that we are the givers of our own life. And they promise, promise us to help us in that endeavor. In other words, our modern world is no different than our ancient one. In our ancient world, we're the one, we believe God sets the table and he provides the bread. But in our modern world, we might set the table, but something else provides the bread. We believe God, God is the one who, in the ancient world who sustains us and gives us life. But in the modern world, we see ourselves as the source and sustainer of life, but with something else like products and experiences helping us to do that along the way. And so the question is, which is true? Is God the source of life or are we? Which is true? Well, it depends on another question. Does what is promised match up to what you need? Our world promises to give life. What we need is that we need life, and we need our lives to be sustained. So does the promise to do that match up? Our world promises to provide the best proverbial bread, on the, on the best proverbial dining table of life that you can have, products, experiences, relationships, jobs, success and pleasure and holidays. These things might make your life really good and really great. There's just one problem though. They don't actually match up to what you need. These things can't give life nor sustain it. Death still comes to us all. And no matter how much Laurie or Paris tries to fight the seven signs of aging, <laughs> it's just not going to happen. They're not going to overcome death. But what does God offer? Leviticus 24 again, This bread is to be set out before the Lord regularly, Sabbath after Sabbath, on behalf of the Israelites as a lasting covenant, an everlasting covenant. God's promises... God promised that he can meet our needs as the one who can give life and sustain life, not just for this time and space, but for eternity itself, because he is an eternal God beyond death itself. 
this special dining room was a sign of such a promise and we see it come to its fulfillment in Jesus Christ who goes to the cross for us as the sacrificial lamb dies and rises again to new life. In him we have life. And in fact, John's gospel says that he is the light of the world, the source of life. He is the bread of life, the means of life, sustenance and sustaining. The promise is, is that Jesus, that God and Jesus Christ can sustain our life forever. It doesn't mean that our lives become much easier, that, that things get easier and easier and easier as you're a Christian. That's not the point. The point is that as you face such things in your life, whether good times or bad times, joyful times or difficult times, the point is that God will sustain you beyond that, even beyond death itself. And you will have life and life for eternity in Jesus Christ. To have a seat at his dining table. But here's the thing. It's his dining table to set, not yours. He is the source of life, not you. He is the one that sustains your life, not you, not me. In a world that's running around crazy, trying to plug into various things to find life, like those people at the airport who are trying to find power sources for their devices. People are running around crazy trying to find what will give them life and sustain their life, their job, their family, success, pleasure, vacation. But these things will come up short. They won't give them what they need to get through life and to overcome death itself. We take for granted what we have in Jesus Christ. God is the source of our life and we should plug into him. So what are you plugging into? Is it God and Jesus Christ or is it something else completely different? I think looking at the last piece of furniture in this special dining room will help us answer this question because this piece of furniture shows us what the goal of life is. And often when we look at where, what we believe life is all about, we can learn where we find the source and the means of sustaining life itself. So secondly, relationship with God is the purpose of life. The last piece of furniture was the altar of incense. And you can read about it in Exodus chapter 30, the first 10 verses there. Pretty much it was at the back of that room and the priest would come in morning and evening and burn incense on that altar with the coals from the blood sacrifice altar just outside. It was a special incense. You couldn't make that incense anywhere else. It was only used for that particular altar, nowhere else. And it was a pleasing aroma to God that corresponded with the altar of burnt offering. So as to signify that God thought of the sacrifices pleasing to him, a symbol to the people that they could have relationship with God. Now, one of the things I learned really quickly about my wife, Katie, is that she, is, she loves candles. She loves candles. She loves them. And so whenever we go to a shop that has candles in them, we have to smell them. She has to smell them, therefore I have to smell them too. Every single shop we go into. In fact, I have to restrict the amount of times we go to Kmart now during the year because she will see candles and go straight for them. Every time we go to Kmart in the basket, I see, what is this? And there's like three or four candles in there. And I say, do we really need these? And she says, yes, we need them. 
And so you don't argue with your wife when it comes to candles. So now we have lots of candles in our house. And candles are constantly burning. If you ever come to our place, there will be a candle burning for sure. And I've begun to pick up the smell of different candles in our house. I'm so used to it now that I can recognize different smells. And so when, Cam- when Katie puts a candle on, I can, I can smell it and go, ooh, that's uh, got a hint of jasmine in it. And uh, that's, uh, ooh, I think it's like a bamboo. Is that the relaxing bamboo jasmine from uh, Kmart? And I'll be right straight away. And that triggers for me a memory about going to Kmart. I'm thinking, I've got to stop this. This is crazy. <laughs> In the same way, the incense from the altar, as it kind of came up out of the tabernacle, would have filled the whole camp. And because it was a very unique smell, everyone would have recognized it. It would have triggered for everyone what this smell meant to them. A reminder of God's grace. A reminder of God's mercy and desire to be with his people. That God gives and sustains life so that he could be in relationship with them. Indeed, he doesn't want us to merely plug into him like the airport analogy suggests. He wants to commune with us. He wants to dine with us. He wants us to be able to have a relationship with him. And the incense as it rose symbolically taught the Israelites that that's what God wants with you and that's what this sacrifice has achieved for you. This relationship. But it also taught them how to express this relationship. And that was through prayer. Throughout the Bible, incense is often associated with prayer. In Psalm 141 verse 2, David says this, May my prayer be set before you like incense. May the lifting of my hands be like the evening sacrifice. We get a picture that as the priest burns the incense, he's making an offering as a mediator between God and the people, lifting up their prayers to God as they correspond to the blood sacrifice, which makes these prayers acceptable before God, a pleasing aroma. A sign that God relates to his people. And in Jesus Christ, we have a much better mediator who's able to lift up our prayers as they correspond to his sacrifice for us on the cross. And so no matter where we are, what we're doing, at whatever time of the day it is, for all eternity, we can pray to our Heavenly Father. Because Jesus is lifting up our prayers. Jesus has taken them before him. And that is the the goal, the way in which we can relate to God. Praying. And your prayer life can tell you whether or not you're trying to find life in God or something else. When those who seek to find life and intimacy in God, their prayer life, I think, will have two things in particular. It's not exhaustive, but just two things to focus on. Firstly, they'll know what prayer is. The purpose of prayer is not about us trying to twist God's arm to get him to do the things we want him to do. Rather, it's a gift that God has given us through the sacrifice of his son so that we can acknowledge that we need God to give us life and sustain our life. When we pray, we're saying, you, God, are in control of everything. You, God, are the one who's in control of my whole life and everything that happens in this world. Only you can give me life. Only you can sustain it. Only you can do what you can do. 
I can't do anything apart from your will and your love and your grace. That's what prayer is doing. Prayer is a humbling thing to do. That's why we often bow our heads or get on our knees as like a sign and a symbol for ourselves to acknowledge what prayer is. That God only has the power. Therefore, no matter what it is, nothing is too small, nothing is too big to bring before God whether we're asking in need or seeking to give thanks, because in prayer we recognize that all things that are good come from God, and so we always give thanks. And we recognize that in, ever, in anything that we are struggling or facing that's causing pain in our life, we know that God is the one who can sustain us through it. And so we pray, always, asking Him to help us. That leads into the second thing. People who seek to find life in God, intimacy with Him, they always pray. They always pray. The incense in the tabernacle is burned day and night, morning and evening, constantly. In Romans 12, verse 12, Paul says, Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, or praying always. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 16 says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. How many of us here pray without ceasing? <laughs> Tell you what, this challenged me the most this week, this, this whole idea that I need to be praying all the time. That's, what, that's a sign of being in a relationship with God, that you're constantly praying. And I thought to myself, have I prayed through this talk enough? Have I prayed for my church this week enough? Have I prayed for my wife and for our families and for my friends? The one who has a relationship with God is always praying. They pray regularly, daily, on their own with their spouse, with their children, given the opportunity. They will pray with their growth group in their church. They will be praying in the car, on the bus, at work, at school, at uni, in the cafe, they will always pray because they know only God can give them life. Only God can sustain their life because they know that the ultimate goal of life is relationship with God, and so they pray. What your prayer life looks like can say a lot about what your relationship with God looks like. Now, I don't want to discourage you to think, I don't pray enough and therefore I mustn't have a relationship with God. I want you to think that we've got to all become monks somehow or somehow people who, have, who pray for five hours at a time are much more closer to God than we are. That's not the truth. That's not the point I'm getting at here. As, as I said before, prayer is a gift given to us by God to help us have a relationship with Him, to help us see we are incapable of doing life on our own and freeing us to surrender ourselves to God and find mercy and hope and strength in Him. All the different modern-day lampstands our world has that, that props up, tells us to worship, they tell us that if we work hard, we can have life now in, in, the, in the present, that we can enjoy life to the fullest if, as long as we do these things. But those kinds of things always lead to pressure and anxiety, us to being depressed and tired, and then it can make us feel like we're not going to have life. 
But the great thing is about prayer is that it's for people like that. Those of us who feel anxious, who feel like we can't keep going, who feel tired, who feel the pressure and the burden of the world, God says, come to me in prayer. Prayer is for such people who recognize that you haven't got the power to keep your life going. Prayer is for people that recognize that God is the one who's in control of all things and hands them to him. Indeed, as Paul says in Philippians 4, don't, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Just as the incense burns day and night, our prayers should go up night and day to our Heavenly Father who invites us to pray, to relate to Him. Knowing beyond anything else we face in this life, He promises to sustain our lives forever so we can have a relationship with Him and take a seat at His table in His kingdom. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful gift that the God and creator of the universe would right now invite us to pray to him. Lord, what a wonderful thing that we can do that right now. We can pray to you. We can trust you. We can, we can believe that you are in control of, of everything, that you're the one who sustains our life and gives life in the first place. And we know, Lord, because of your son, that you will sustain our life beyond the grave. You will give life beyond the grave for all eternity. We thank you for that hope and we pray that we'd hold on to that hope as we face so many things in our life that attempt to rob us of life. Lord, help us to see that you, you are the one who is in control, that you give life, that you sustain life. And help us always to respond with a desire to relate to you as we pray. Make us prayerful. Make us joyful in prayer. Make us constant in prayer. Would we not feel the pressure to pray, but the joy to pray as a gift from you? Amen.